0: On Sunday evenings for the next uh, about four Sunday evenings something like that we're going to look at Esther and I'm struck by What I consider and I think many would consider the key verse of the book of Esther, which is Esther Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, and I'll read that for you and This is Mordecai talking to Esther who is best as I can understand probably his niece but she is a, a, a woman that he is to take care of as far as his family. And he's talking to her about an opportunity that she has to do something for the Lord, something that the Lord wants her to do. And I'll read this verse in chapter 4, in verse 14. It says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that thought that he says there at the last part, for such a time as this, is what I want to just spend a couple of Sunday nights on in the book of Esther, just to show you. Partly, and tonight we'll look at how God orchestrates everything. Over the coming weeks, we'll look at our responsibility in all that. And then we'll also look at the fact that, regardless of what we do or do not do, thank you. I don't know if I'll be able to drink that and talk at the same time, but we'll try. But uh, uh, regardless of our responsibility, whether we take up our responsibility or not, God is a good God and he will take care of things. But we're going to see this in in Esther chapter 1 and 2. Excuse me for doing that. But I want you to see that God is at work, and I'm not just talking about in the book of Esther, and we'll see that, but I want you to know that God is at work in us, for us, right now. Let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll look at this in Esther 1 and 2. Lord, I pray that you'll help me as I speak to your people. Lord, they do not need to hear from me. My opinions are just like a bunch of other people's opinions. uh, They come from a heart of wickedness and sin that has to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. They instead, Lord, they need to hear from you. They need to know that you're the good God of the universe and that you are their God. And we need you to speak to us tonight, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, God is at work and he uses his means, his methods, and he's doing them for his purposes. And I want, to know that, I want you to know that even now he's doing that. We're going to see this in Esther. That'll come out of this in these passages that we'll look at. But I want you to, before we get there, I want to get, get your mind right on this. He is doing that even right now. For a time such as this, uh, we're, we're church folk here for the most part, I believe. We're church folk, and I want to—I want to just fuss at us as church folk for just a minute. And I know I'm preaching to the people that are sitting here listening to me, but y'all gonna have to take it for just a half a second, if you do. I know that the virus has kept us at home, as as I believe it was right for us to, to for health reasons to be cautious and even now as we're gathering we're being cautious in doing so but the statistics show there was a recent survey that said that only in the last four weeks only 40 percent of churchgoers now I want you to understand what the words are here 40 percent of churchgoers these are people who say yeah I go to church on a regular basis 40 percent of them have watched or somehow participated in their churches, remote broadcast of their services. I'm talking about live streams, call-ins, all the different things that they do. Some churches I know don't have the ability to do that. I understand that. But this is talking about folks who are, have that access and they have only 40%. Now, you say, well, that sounds like a big number. I mean, 60% did not. Do you understand that? 60% have not. And now, now 23% did watch other churches. Okay, fine. Not going to be upset about that you got options for better, better preachers, go listen to them. (laughs) That said, of all of the people who say I'm a churchgoer, 48% of them, 48, just under 50% of them looked at nothing. Now, I want you to think about what I just told you. What I'm telling you is we have, and this is why I mentioned this morning, I have a concern that there is a, is religious decline in this country. There's always been that but among God's people, or at least people who claim to be God's people, there is a decline in that. I don't think now is the time for the church to stop and to let up. That's not what we're supposed to be doing right now. Now is not the time. I can guarantee you that God hasn't let up. Can I just give you a simple example? And I wanna try to, this is a very, very current example of what I mean by this. There's a man who is a pastor of a church in Dundalk, Maryland. It's Calvary Baptist Church in Dundalk, Maryland. If you watch some of the news, you might have seen this man. His name is Stacy Shiflett. And by the way, just a small personal connection, um, my cousin's, I'll stay with me for a second, my cousin's son-in-law is the assistant pastor there. So that makes me somebody, I think. Anyway, just keep going. Anyway, that church was notified in Maryland, because they're just outside of Baltimore, they were notified by the health department. If y'all meet, we may have to do some penalties for you. They went ahead and met. Then the next day, they get a letter from, or the next week, they get a letter from the health department that says, we're going to fine you $5,000 for coming together as a church. Now, I want to make sure y'all know that they did. I think we've been pretty, pretty, Uh, appropriate in how we the measures we've been taking I think they actually went a little even further in some of the measures they took so they were being very rigorous about this to understand that one wasn't wasn't willy-nilly that said they met they got served a fine and then Pastor Shifflett stood up in this in his pulpit on a Wednesday night and he preached a sermon essentially talking about the fact that they were going to worship as God intended for them to worship Again, you might have some issues with his message. I, don't, I really don't care about that point as much as simply here's a man who's taking a stand to do what is, he believes that God would have his church to do. He stood there and said, I'm going to do where we as a church are going to meet as God intends for us to meet. And of course, he, he very dramatically tore up the letter. If you saw the video, you may have seen this. He tears up the letter that says they're going to be fine, and then the next day, of course, he makes the rounds on the, on the news. And I don't think, and, and then, then right after that, I think it's the next day, President Trump stands up and he says, I'm going to support the churches and I'm going to do everything I can. Again, we understand his powers are limited, but nonetheless, he's going to do what he can in order to support the churches and all that. He said, well, why in the world are you telling me that story? Well, I want you to see here that now's not the time to let up. Now's not the time to stop. We need to continue to go forward. It's not about a political agenda. Goodness, no. Goodness, no. But it is about doing what is right. And you know what God's going to do? He's using all of those parts and pieces to get his message across to make sure that his, his gospel is preached. And my job is simply to do what's right in the whole thing. He is orchestrating that. I, I couldn't imagine... An independent Baptist preacher standing in his pulpit preaching. And then two days later, as a response to that, in support of that, the President of the United States getting up and making a statement in honor of that. I, I can't imagine that. But you know how that works? It has. I'm not, I'm not saying one thing good or bad about President Trump. I'm saying everything good about our God who says... I don't care if it was, I don't care what president it was in the White House, if God had wanted that to happen, that is what is going to happen, because he orchestrates these events when we, and when, 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 when our responsibility is simply to watch him work. In Esther, in chapter 1, I'm just going to cover chapters 1 and 2, I won't read it from, from beginning to end, but I will pick up a few verses, so if you don't mind turning your Bibles there and we'll follow along. We're seeing that in Esther, God is orchestrating circumstances and events. If you know the arc of the story, you've got um, a king who brings in a new, new queen. Her name is Esther. She's the title of the book. He brings her in, but at the same time, there is a, um, there, there's a, a plan to, to kill off all of the Jewish people that are in captivity here in Persia, somebody who gets a sort of a scheme to do that. But Esther, being a Jewish woman has an opportunity to turn that around because God has put her in a position to turn that around. And ultimately, you'll see this unfold in this story over the next few Sundays if you don't know the story. But just know that at the end of it all, God uses this woman at this time in this place to save his people, even though it looks like it's all narrowed down to one one moment where the Jewish people would be wiped off the earth and the Messiah that was promised would never be able to come. But God saves his people through this circumstance. And what I want you to see is that God orchestrates all of this. He orchestrates the fact that there's this specific king at this time. In chapter 1, in chapter 1 in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India, even unto Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 provinces. So you've got a king, this king of Persia. Uh, Some of your history books, you might know him as Xerxes. He is Ahasuerus here. That is his name, and he covered a lot of territory. He described it there from India to Ethiopia. Think about how that big is, that big of an area. That's the whole Middle East. He's got that whole area. That's what he's covering. He's apparently a bit of an arrogant man. If you go to verse 4, It says, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty, many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. Of course, he's got a lot to show, but he's wanting to show off everything he's got. He's an arrogant man. He wants people to see what he's done and how big of a man he is. And he's also, apparently, there's a party that ensues in the next few verses. He's apparently a bit of a party animal. But I want you to see that God has orchestrated for it to be this king at this time. Here's a man who's reacting, I want you to think about this, he's reacting out of his gut. He's not reacting because of how smart he is. I'm not saying he wasn't smart, but when he's doing what you see in the book of Esther, he's reacting simply at a visceral level. And I don't think that's by accident. God knew that this was the king to put this situation in, that this was the right kind of king. And then God orchestrated him to have a face-off with his wife. Look with me in verse 11, go all the way down there. And he brings out his, this queen, Vashti, to bring queen, Va- queen, excuse me, to bring Vashti the Queen before the King with the crown royal to show the people and the Prince her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. Please understand, sorry, ladies, but that's what the Kings would see their wives as being—a showpiece, somebody to be looked at. So how how big of a man they are—they were simply a plaything. That's all, and and I'm sure Vashti knew this when she signed up. So this is not a surprise. This was probably not the last or the first time that uh, Ahasuerus had ever asked her to come out and parade herself in front of all of his friends. I'm sure this was not. But for whatever reason, God orchestrated that this was the moment that she was going to say, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm done with this. And in the next verse, it says, verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment. And of course, that makes the king very wroth, it says there. But she clicks now to push back, and I believe that is God's orchestration in this situation. It's also God's orchestration that the king is sitting there with his advisors, and he has a man right there beside of him named Mimucan. You'll see him in starting in about verse 13, going down verse 14. I think his name shows up, Mimucan shows up there. And Mimucan sees this as an opportunity for whatever reason, I, I don't know what, maybe, maybe he, Mamukin and, and Vashti had a falling out. Maybe there was some kind of backroom dealing that was going on. I don't know. But the point is, at this moment, Mimucan plays on King Ahasuerus's arrogance and, 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 and fragile pride, and he says, essentially, are you going to let this woman do this? Are you going to let her get away with that? That's what he says, essentially, in these verses. Why does he do it? I don't know. But at the end of it all, if you go down to verse 19, he says, If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it not be altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And of course, the king says, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And he does that. Essentially, king, Queen Vashti is stripped of her crown. She no longer has position. I don't know exactly what happens to her other than we just don't see her anymore. It is also God's orchestration that this same king, because I I can imagine he would have access to, uh, not to be crude about it, but access to as many women as he wanted to. He didn't have to have a wife per se, but God knew that this would be a man that needed a wife and wanted a wife, and he was not content to just move on. He wanted another woman. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she was done and what was decreed against her. He's sitting there, if you can imagine, kind of thinking, Man, I sure do miss Vashti. Man, I sure do. I I need to have me another woman. I need to have another wife. I need to fix this problem. And of course, what he does, what he does is uh, he's not content just to, uh, you know, wait, wait until the right woman comes along. He has essentially a beauty pageant. You can see this in verse 2. The king's servants, uh, he said, then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be fair young maidens sought for the king. And you'll see if you read the following verses, he brings all these women in so that he can evaluate them and pick, pick among them. It's also not without God's planning and God's orchestration that there's a specific person in the king's court at this time. If you're in chapter 2, go down to verse 5. Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Benjamite. This specific man is here at this moment in time. I, I will say this as a side note. I, I believe it's it's somewhat tradition, it's not necessarily, you, you, can, you can sort of see it from Scripture, but the scholars are differ, differ on this, but it is very possible that this man, who is a descendant of, of, of Benjamin, so he is potentially a descendant of Saul, is also going to be facing off with Haman, who it seems might have been a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, who Saul was supposed to wipe out. Do you remember this story back in Samuel? That was, it's very likely that these two men are supposed to face off again if that is the case. Again, just another example of God orchestrating this whole story. And it's this man, not only are the Jews held captive in this man's kingdom, but this specific man, Mordecai, is in this place. Why is that important? Because if you go down to verse 7, we see something about Mordecai. He brought up Hadassah. Which that is Esther. This is the name that she goes by in this story, Esther, his uncle's daughter, which is why I would say that she is his niece, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So he's raising this woman or girl at this point, probably, and raising her as his own child, essentially. That's how he's operating with her. But God orchestrated for this man who had this woman in his house. He orchestrated them to be in that place. Go all the way to the end of Esther chapter 2 and look with me in verse 21. Again, this is all God orchestrating this. You got to see this. In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, so he's doing the job that he's supposed to do, two of the king's chamberlains, Big Than and Teresh, of those which kept the door. So you've got these two fellows who are supposed to be uh, taking care of things. They were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. They had a plot to kill the king. And the thing was known to Mordecai. Mordecai found out about it and told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof Mordecai's name. So he was able to get word to the king because of his connection to Esther. Hey, these guys are going to kill you. In verse 23, when inquisition was made into the matter, it was found out, and they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So here's a moment whenever Mordecai, God orchestrates for Mordecai to be in his castle, in his kingdom, and be able to be in his, in his court, and then save his life, and then ultimately be in the king's debt. So you're saying well matthew that's an interesting story but what in the world has that got to do with anything i want you to first understand that god works on a long term plan his plan this plan that we see in esther but even the plan that we're seeing played out right now in front of us and it's all connected by the way this plan predates time itself in first peter chapter one verse 20 it says that jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world this this story in esther is a story about how the jew the jewish people and a story about the jewish people is a story about the messiah who would come and the messiah would come through these people and god had orchestrated all of this to work out he knew what he was doing and it's been something he's been working on for thousands of years he's been working on this thing before time ever began and then when time does begin in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, sin enters into the garden, and then God says, I'm going speaking to speak into the serpent and, and talking to the Adam and Eve. He says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it, the seed of the woman, is going to bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. He's promising that even at the beginning of time that there will be victory that he's going to, to orchestrate. God is going to save Israel. There's no question. It's going to happen. He would then, through Israel, bless the whole world. By the way, if you are seated here tonight, and you are not of Jewish descent, and you claim that you have a home in heaven, that is only because there is a nation called Israel that God has blessed and through them brought the Messiah that you now have access to because he came to save and seek the lost. So because of him saving Israel in the book of Esther, we now can say, as he says in Galatians 3.14, that we are blessed through Abraham. And he's going to give us hope in those dark times because he's going to save his people. He's going to see us through those situations. I need you all to see that, that even in the darkest moment, our God is working on a long-term plan. He's not, he's not giving up. He's not, he's, not, he's, not, he's not saying, oh, I don't know what to do next. He's never, <laughs> sometimes when I'm, I'm working on something and I'm, I'm trying to do this, trying to put something together or work on something together, and I'm like, oops, didn't see that. Man, I forgot about that. Mm, I wasn't thinking about that. Those are words that will never come out of God's mouth. He's orchestrating all of this stuff on purpose. He is putting these things together, literally picking the person to be the king, literally per- per- picking the person who would fight against the king, people who would advise the king. He is orchestrating all of that. And can I go ahead and tell you, he's doing that right here at this moment, right now. We are, it is not by surprise that the president we have is the president we have. It is not by surprise that the governor we have is the governor we have. It is not by surprise that you are members of this church at this moment in time. It is not by surprise that God, God is not surprised by that. No detail escapes God's attention. He hasn't missed the fact that you exist. Sometimes we think, uh, you know, God's forgotten about me. He hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't forgot about, not just forgot about that you exist. He actually has placed you at this moment, in this place. You may say, well, I I just, you know, maybe maybe you have this itch to, to go move somewhere else. And if the Lord allows it, nothing wrong with that. You can do that. But right now, he's got you right here. He's got you right here. And he's got some purpose for that. I don't know what it is, but he's made it so that you would be right here. Just like Mordecai, I imagine if I was Mordecai, I'd rather be back home in Israel. I would not want to be in Persia in the king's court. But God had a plan for him to be in that moment at that place. He, does not, he doesn't overlook little details. What we have to do and our, our job and what Mordecai's job and Esther's job was and what our job is is we've got to stop moaning and complaining about what is or what is not and start grabbing a hold of what God has given us. And he has given us a lot. I'm talking even even can, can I go ahead and say that some of what he has given us might be pain and it might be suffering And that's hard to grab hold of I understand that. Oh my goodness I understand that but do know that even in the pain and even in the suffering That is what God has granted to us to serve his purpose It is a small detail, but it is a detail that he's not overlooked I want you to understand that God is up to something big God is up to something eternal God is up to something amazing As as Mordecai says to Esther, who knoweth whether or not God has put you here for such a time as this? You see, our God knows what he's doing. Our God knows exactly what he's doing. I remember a few years ago when I surrendered to a call to preach, and there were many years where I was preaching in different churches and trying to serve in my local church, but I knew and I remember complaining to my dad. I said, Daddy... I don't know why God hadn't put me into a church to pastor just yet. And he looked at me and he does what he does. He can be a little sarcastic sometimes, and it helps me, as it should. He said, Well, you know what, Matthew? I think God must have messed up when he called you to preach. And I said, What are you talking about? And he said, Well, he clearly didn't know what he was doing. He I don't know why he, he hadn't put you in a church yet, so obviously he messed up. Well, the fact is, uh, my my dad's point in that sarcastic statement is, no, God knows what he's doing. He may take him some time. He's going to do it in his time and his plan. He knows where he wants me to serve and what he wants me to do. He knows what I'm supposed to be doing, and it's not just about me. He knows what you're supposed to be doing. Even though you feel like you're in that moment, like, I don't know what in the world's going on. Why am I right here? Why is this going on? Your God is orchestrating it all, and he knows what he's doing And Romans 8, 28 is still a true passage. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, the called according to his purpose. If you are one of God's children, if you're saved by grace, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, everything that's happening to you is for an ultimate purpose now can i stop back step back just half a step here and say if those things are not true of you i I hate to tell you this but your life is wasted you need to get washed in the blood of the lamb you need to put your faith in jesus christ but the minute that you cross over into that threshold and put your faith in our savior jesus he has got an ultimate purpose for your life he's got an ultimate purpose for every aspect of your life it's always something that it's his purpose if you go to that verse in romans 8 28 he's talking about his purpose it is his purpose not mine because i got all kinds of purposes and some of those god don't really want anything to do with it's his purpose and he says it's going to work out for good and it's not just what i think is good because what i think is good is Like a little child thinks, you know, it might be a good idea to drink a Dr. Pepper right before I go to bed. That's what a child might think is a good idea. And I I might agree with him. It sounds pretty good, but uh, the minute you down all that caffeine and that sugar, you might be up for a little bit as a little child particularly. So it's not just my good in that what I think is good. It is the ultimate good. He knows what best. He is always going to do what's right. Do you know that when I say that our God is good, we don't just mean He does good and nice things for me. We mean that He is good all of the time. He is always loving. He is always right. And He is always in control. He is literally orchestrating everything in the universe to make it work for his ultimate good. He is the the ultimate good of the universe and he knows what he's doing and he's working it all together to accomplish that. You know what my job is? You know what your job is? To be where God put us. To do right. And just hang on. (laughs) I wish I had more profound advice for you than that but that's what we got to do. Just like Mordecai, just like Esther, do what's right. They had opportunities to do the wrong thing. They had opportunities to go against God's word. They, they could have done that. That absolutely was an option for them. But the best thing, the way this worked out is, as Mordecai says, listen, if we don't do this, God's going to save them from somewhere, but we're going to be hurt in the process. So we got to do what's right. In this time of this crisis, a lot of people, a lot of leaders, myself being one of those, the leader, one of the, the leaders of this church, we're trying to figure things out. We're trying to manage through this thing. You better believe there's been some second guessing. Is this the right thing? Is that the right thing? What do we do this? What do we do that? But I want you to be absolutely assured that God is not managing this crisis. God is not figuring things out. God is not second-guessing anything. God is purposefully orchestrating everything, all of it, for our good, for our ultimate good, for his purposes. He's in control. We use a word called sovereign. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's working it all out, and he's going to do it in his timing, according to his plan, and I can guarantee you, if God does it, it's going to be good. God does it, you better believe it's going to be good. So what, my encouragement to you, and I'm closing, my encouragement to you is this, trust the Lord's orchestration on all this. Don't stop doing right. So that's one of the temptations that we have, is that when things get a little, kind of get a little out of sorts, the the wheels get fall off from underneath us and we think, oh my goodness, then we start doing it's temptation to sin is what we do. We sin. We complain. We go do what we know we ought not do. Instead, what we need to be doing is saying, Lord, this hurts. I don't like it. It feels bad. But I know that you know what you're doing. You can trust God. He's orchestrating it all. Let us, instead of stop watching the live streams or coming to church or whatever it is, instead of getting church to wash out of our lives because this, this virus is, is, is overwhelming us, instead of that, let us actually find a way to rekindle that passion for God so that we can burn brighter for the cause of Christ right now as much as we're confused and we are hurting and we don't know, now's the time not to let up because God ain't let up. Our job is to keep going. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ and the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.